Welcome to the ninth episode of the Quilting Stories podcast. Stay tuned while my co-host, Elaine Poplin, interviews me, Jeff Rutherford, about my quilting story. Stay tuned for the interview. The Quilting Stories podcast is brought to you by Ola so. For the last year, I've been using the TG1600 Pro Smart Iron from Oloso. And what is an Oloso Smart Iron? The Smart Iron features Oloso's patented iTouch technology. And how that works is you simply touch the handle and the iron lowers ready to iron. And when you take your hand off the handle... The patented Scotch Guard lifts the iron off the ironing board to prevent scorches, burns, and tipping. As I said, I've been using the Oloso TG1600 Pro Smart Iron for the last year, and it's really been a fun ironing experience. You can check out the Oloso Smart Irons at your local quilting store or wherever you buy your sewing and quilting supplies. Welcome back to the Quilting Stories podcast. For a little bit of a change, I'm Elaine Poplin, joined today by my co-host, Jeff Rutherford, a quilter from Massachusetts. Where in Massachusetts are you from, Jeff? Um, I'm in Western Massachusetts, uh, specifically Northampton, Mass. But you're not originally from Massachusetts, are you? Your accent says otherwise. Where are you from? I have an accent. <laughs> well, if I do, and I've been told that I do. So if I have one, then you have one. <laughs> I don't hear it. Uh, but anyway, yes, I grew up in Macon, Georgia. And the joke is that I keep moving further and further north. So mm-hmm. I spent um, about eight years in New York City. In Manhattan and Brooklyn. And then in 2002, I moved to Western Massachusetts. And I guess the next stop for me would be Montreal at some point. Where did you, or what did you do in New York City? What took you there? Um, Well, I love telling uh, uh, moving to New York stories, especially with people who uh, moved there from the South. But I literally, um, I was dating a woman at the time. And she got accepted into law school at NYU and said, do you want to move to New York with me? And I said, yeah. So I um, was living in Austin, Texas at the time. We were living in Austin, Texas. And uh, we loaded up a U-Haul and a quick stop in Georgia. And then we drove. And I had never stepped foot in New York City, never even visited before I drove through the Lincoln Tunnel in a moving van. Wow. Um, and I immediately loved it. And I had lots of friends and family saying, you can't move to New York without a job. And I moved there on a Saturday and um, hung out in the uh, uh, Greenwich Village on, um, I moved there on a Saturday, hung out in Greenwich Village on Sunday. And then on Monday, I went to about eight different temp agencies. And it's kind of funny, I tell the story. They all made you sign this document that says, this is the only temp agency that I'm working with. And so I would sign that document and then I would leave and walk down the block and go to another temp agency. And I had a job the next morning. Nice. (laughs) So you were there for a while. Yes. Yes. And in fact, that's where I discovered quilts was in New York City. Um, I grew up in Macon, uh, Georgia. Like I said, I didn't really sew. Um, my mom had a treadle machine that she used strictly for, uh, hemming pants and, um, 
things like that. So she wasn't a regular sewer. Um, I later discovered that my paternal grandmother um, had actually quilted and they grew up in South Georgia. And again, it was strictly utilitarian quilts because they uh, grew up um, with not a lot of money. And that's kind of an understatement. So she would make quilts for her um, kids to sleep under. And she had one of those uh, quilting frames that raised up to the ceiling. Um, and then she would lower it down. And all of this I discovered um, pretty much after her death. I was very close to her. But um, again, because I didn't grow up um, sewing or quilting, we didn't, never really talked about it. But some of my aunts and uncles and my father have told me about this. Um, after I got into quilting. So, um, so yeah, so I, um, was living in New York city and was visiting a park in, um, the Bronx called wave Hill one day. And they had a very small, um, gallery slash museum space. It was literally one room, one small room. And I went in and there was a display of art quilts from various New York city quilters. And I immediately fell in love with them and was like, I want to try to make a quilt. That's amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. But you never wondered what that contraption on your grandmother's ceiling was? I never did. I never did. She had moved from that house <laughs> by the time I was hanging out with her. So <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually seen one except in photos. So that would be very interesting to see. It would. It would. How would you describe the quilts that you are making these days in comparison to what you started with? Hmm. I would say that there's probably kind of two um, areas of quilts that I make. Um, one would be, I guess, traditional blocks and traditional geometric patterns. And I started out making those uh, when I finally did. So I'll just um, backtrack for a second. So I discovered those quilts in New York City and had this desire because I'd always wanted to, to do some type of art um, or craft. And I was never very good at drawing um, realistically, which is something that I've always wanted to do, but I didn't pursue that. Um, but I had in high school taken a, a pottery class for about a week, one summer through this program. And uh, before I discovered quilting, I was thinking about um, trying to get a pottery wheel, but I was living in a uh, apartment in Brooklyn and couldn't really figure out how that would work. So, um, so when I, uh, so I discovered quilts, there was a quilt store in Manhattan at the time called the city quilter. And it was on the West side in the twenties. And I went there, um, but their classes didn't really mesh with my schedule. They were, most of their classes were during the day when I was working. Um, so I ended up um, subscribing to a couple of quilt magazines and started learning some names of the patterns. And then when I moved to Western Massachusetts in 2002, probably a month or two after I moved here, I discovered a beginning quilt class in a nearby town. And I took that class and that was in Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts. And, um, that, that quilt that I made, um, in that class was a log cabin and, um, even then I was just kind of grabbing fabrics and it's kind of hard to look at now, but, um, 
I, uh, I so that was like a traditional pattern, obviously with log cabin. So there's definitely a side of me that is attracted to traditional geometric patterns. Um, I would say probably one of the things that um, makes some of my quilts stand apart is I tend to gravitate to really bold and vibrant colors and solids. Um, and then the other um, the other side of my quilt making, which I would like to do more of, is what I would describe as more personal slash art quilts. Um, so far, several of those have included words or um, specifically song lyrics. Um, I made a quilt with some lyrics from an Iggy Azalea song. And most recently, I'm working on a quilt with some of the lyrics from a song by The Cure. Wow. that's That answered um, my next question. How did you get started? So thank you for that. Um, do you make, do you sew anything other than quilts? Do you make garments or bags or anything like that? I really haven't. I haven't. Um, I haven't made any bags, and I haven't made any garments. Uh, I, I've thought about the garment um, side because I have um, several shirts and jackets that I guess would be considered kind of a rockabilly um, or kind of traditional country style with, um, I guess, applique or embroidery. And I w- I'm kind of interested in that, but I haven't done any of it. Um, strictly quilts, and in fact, I mean, I try to stay away from any kind of um, hand quilting if I can help it. (laughs) So so I'm usually uh, piecing and usually using um, some long armor uh, to, uh, to quilt them. And then um, I usually sit around for months, if not a year or two before I will end up putting on a um, binding. (laughs) I understand that too. I've got a stack over there. Um, I know that we met, I think, I think we decided that we met um, because of during a Bonnie Hunter mystery quilt that she does every holiday season. Um, are you participating in this year's mystery, the Grassy Creek mystery? I am. I am. The, the, I started it one year and only got through maybe the second clue. Um, and I think that was can't remember the name of the pattern. Um, it was the one before on Ringo Lake. Um, and Is that Grand Illusion? Yes, yes. And um, the reason that I um, stopped was um, I just wasn't prepared at that point for the volume of, of sewing that her quilts require. Um, but I came back the next year and I ended up doing, I went off of her color palette and ended up using Christmas fabrics and really loved it. And I've made everyone sent every, every, um, annual mystery quilt since. So yes, I'm working on grassy quilt Creek this year. And I decided to go back to, uh, I originally was going to use her color palette, went out and bought some fabric and then decided at the last minute to again, use, Christmas fabrics. So yes, that's what I'm doing. Um, I haven't caught up all of the clues, but I'm close. Very good. Very good. So I know that you blog. Where can we find your blog? And when did you start and how did you start? It's jeffrutherford.com. And 
I would say it's kind of sporadic. <laughs> I would like to do it more. I, I'm lately doing more of this podcast, but um, yes, you can check it out at jeffrutherford.com. All one word. So how did you get started blogging? Um, I originally, if you, if you go way back through the archives, you'll find weird articles because that was originally a, a site that I was using for kind of my freelance uh, public relations business. So I was originally doing it for work, um, but I found myself um, writing articles about my quilting and I would post them in various places, either on Facebook or on medium.com. And then um, eventually I was just like, why don't I just take this website that I have and just convert it to a quilting blog? Um, a couple of years ago is when I did that. Okay. You mentioned writing. And one of the ways that our worlds collided was on Facebook, we realized that we had a mutual friend in common that you had through writing. I am friends with her locally. Yes, that was that was kind of one of the small world incidents. Um, so I, uh, yes, I mean, I had said earlier that I had wanted to do some type of visual creative art or craft. Um, but in my 20s and 30s, what I was doing before quilting and and before I got into um, quilting was I wrote a lot of fiction and I uh, wrote uh, many short stories and I wrote a couple of novels, which no one will ever see. And um, this writer that you mentioned, this, this friend in common, we were published in a mutual anthology, which uh, I hesitate to even talk about this, but I will. It's an it's an annual anthology that is funded by the estate of L. Ron Hubbard. But uh, you do not have to be a Scientologist to enter this writing contest. And I'm not a Scientologist, but I entered the contest as well as this mutual friend. And we were both published in this anthology and they flew us out to L.A. for a week long uh, writing um, workshop. Um, so. Unfortunately, the more that I've gotten into quilting, which takes up a lot of my time when I'm not working, uh, I have kind of uh, not done as much fiction writing in the past several years. So what was your genre in fiction writing? Um, it was mostly commercial fiction. So um, science fiction, mystery, thrillers, horror, that type of thing. Excellent. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting because that's not something I've done a lot of, but I have a child who wants to, who is an aspiring writer, science fiction and fantasy primarily. So what inspires a new quilt for you? I know you've been inspired by music. You've got one in process or in percolation in your mind um, using lyrics from The Cure, but what else inspires a new quilt for you? I think on, on the side of the, what I would consider the traditional geometric patterns, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint, um, because I tend to, as I mentioned before, I tend to go off of, um, a lot of the traditional color palettes and kind of go in my own direction, but it's, it's really, it's really just this gut reaction when I'm, when I'm looking at a project or I see something on Instagram and, and am interested in doing it. And one thing that I do a lot of in between projects is I make string blocks, which I later make into string quilts. That's uh, one thing that I really enjoy doing to just use up scraps. And when I just want to sew mindlessly, I make string blocks. But on the traditional side, I would say I'm 
I'm inspired by the pattern itself. And I would say that I, I would say, I mean, as much as I love the Bonnie Hunter and I can't see not doing her annual quilt, I'm probably doing less of the traditional patterns outside of the the Bonnie quilts. I, I feel like I'm losing a little bit of interest in that over um, trying to focus a little bit more on things that I would, I feel like I want to make quilts that only I could make. And a lot of those I think are going to be inspired by music just because music has always been a huge um, inspiration to me. And it's something that when I'm working uh, at the sewing machine, I've usually got music blasting either music or a podcast or an audio book, but a lot of times music. And one thing that I've been thinking about for quite a while, and I almost hesitate to talk about it because I don't want to kind of jinx myself, but um uh, I uh, have had an idea to uh, make some quilts that uh, are illustrative quilts that feature boom boxes. I have a coffee table book sitting next to my sewing machine that I've had for several years that uh, is basically um, photographs from New York City and other cities from the 1980s of various people's boom boxes and them walking around the city. And I would like to create some boom box quilts, but I haven't ever, I haven't uh, worked on it yet. So that sounds really fun. <laughs> do you quilt your quilts yourself? Um, I do not. <laughs> I, I take that. I take that back. I take that back. I did. Go ahead. I know you have. I have. I have. Um, it, it's not the part of the process that I, I like the most. Um, but yes, I I did quilt the Iggy Azalea lyrics quilt that I mentioned earlier, and that was using matchstick quilting, so just straight lines. And I do have a new Juki. I haven't used the uh, quilting foot yet, but I think it would probably be a little bit easier for me than um, my previous Janome, which was giving me problems whenever I tried to use the quilting foot. So there might be more quilting for me in the future. Uh, and the Juki has increased throat space too, which should make exactly. a big difference. I've always, <laughs> Huge I've found throat that. space. Yeah. Um, are there, you mentioned this too, there are, you like the bright, bold colors, but are there specific colors that you tend to gravitate to? I know the answer to this. <laughs> even if you don't. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I, I have a friend on Facebook who who is constantly, um, constantly uh, reminding me that I should expand beyond green because I gravitate to a lot of green. Um, but I, I, you know, I definitely mix it up. <laughs> Yeah, you are. You do mix it up, but it's. I was going to say green, orange, and blue. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, I have my colors. Everybody has their colors. It's totally fine. Um, are there other arts besides music? I know you go dancing a lot, or you did during not pandemic time. But um, are there other arts or other activities that inspire you as well? Books, music, paintings, movies. Sure. I mean, I'm I'm a big reader. I'm not sure. I'm not sure in terms of books that have inspired quilts. That that said, w another idea that I've been thinking about for a while is um, I'm kind of fascinated by the the covers of of old science fiction or mystery paperbacks. These kind of like pulp 
painted covers. And I'm thinking about at some point trying to make an illustrative quilt that's basically like a book cover and see what that would look like. Um, so that, that I would say is an inspiration. Definitely um, music, as I've already mentioned, and part of that would also be dancing. I mean, that's one thing I definitely miss about uh, COVID and the pandemic. I was talking to a friend the other night, and one of the things I miss most is just being on this dance floor and in a crowd of people. But that'll come back. I'm, I'm, I'm very positive. And I would say physical exercise. Um, I mean, I... I do CrossFit. I've done um, obstacle racing, like Spartan races and Savage races. So uh, I don't necessarily use that um, as a subject matter, but it's certainly something that that helps clear my mind and and um, gets me ready to sew. If you were talking to someone who is intrigued by quilting, but maybe a bit afraid to get started, it's easy to compare oneself to quilters who've been quilting a long time. So that can be scary if you get online. But if you're talking to someone who wanted to get started, but didn't know how to get started, what would you offer as advice to them? My biggest advice, like a lot of things would be just to dive in. And what I mean by that is don't get distracted by the four or five, $6,000 or more machines uh, if you're just thinking about it and want to give it a try, just go get a machine at a big box store to start out. You can always upgrade at any point if you decide that you love it, but there's no reason to like go into debt at the beginning. And I think that um, this is something that I've heard uh, another quilter to talk about. I mean, you have to keep in mind that this is an industry and you're constantly being marketed to, but um, the basics are always going to be the basics and you can do amazing things with uh, a basic machine, uh, basic materials that you get at Joann's or your local quilt store, which I always encourage you to, to investigate. And I'll mention that. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. Um, but, um, you know, and, and scissors and a rotary cutter and a rotary mat um, and, and thread it, is is all that you need to get started. Um, if you're someone who uh, doesn't want to just dive in and try to teach yourself, which I totally understand, and, and it's completely different than when I was trying to learn in 2002, because now there's YouTube and there's a million YouTube videos about how to quilt if you're a visual learner. But one of the things that I was going to mention is try to find a local uh, quilt class uh, that's how I learned. And it's absolutely, I think I would not be doing it as long as I have if I had not learned in person with a teacher who is really laid back and super helpful and answered a million questions. And it's a great way to meet people, but it's also a great way to learn. So I would probably start at your local quilt store and ask them if there are local um, classes and they can probably lead you in the, the right way. That sounds great. Um, you mentioned going to the local quilt shop. How are you received as a male wanting to get started quilting? It's, I know it has to be very interesting to be a guy in a female-dominated medium. So how how has that been for you? It, at this point in 2020, so I can't believe it's been 18 years since I made my first quilt, at this point, I literally don't even think about it. Um, all of the 
I think I know like every quilter within 30 miles of where I live. I've been involved in two local guilds. I've been the president of the Northampton Modern Quilt Guild. And I am also in a local group um, that meets once a month. Now we're meeting via Zoom of uh, uh, several fiber artists and quilters. Um, so I know tons of people and I don't really even think about it at this point. I've just, it's just part of who I am. It's, and the local quilt stores know me uh, well because I've shopped there and I still take classes. Um, obviously, pre-pandemic, I, I um, take classes, um, block of the month and, and other things. I, I will say at, at the beginning, and, and I would say that this is, I would say that this has changed somewhat in the last 18 years in terms of just gender expectations and gender roles, or maybe it's just in my own mind because I've, I've certainly encountered some negativity along the way, not from, not from actually uh, female quilters, but from other guys who kind of raise an eyebrow when I talk about quilting. Um, but I, I would say in, in, in the early years, the first several years, I didn't really post about it very much on social media, which I mean, social media was in its infancy at that point. Um, and I didn't, um, I didn't, you know, I was kind of reserved about talking about it openly. Um, and I think that that was my own stuff. Um, and I fully admit that. I mean, I, I, um, I'm, you know, a straight white guy. So there's obviously privilege that goes along with that. But I also think, I mean, in terms of like gender expectations, it's not something that you hear talked about um, too much. And for obvious reasons, I mean, this is a, this is a female dominated um, craft and art. And I will say that uh, I'm very mindful of that. Um, and I know that it, I know, well, I'll say I'm very mindful of that. And it, I always try to emphasize and, um, and acknowledge the many female quilters that have come before me and also the many female quilters that I've learned from and that have taught me and that have taught classes that I've attended. Um, I know that, you know, I think if we're talking about gender, I know that there has been um, discussions that that pop up every now and then about um, male quilters, and I will just tell you what I think some of the issues are from my perspective of trying to listen respect respectfully, and I think that some of the complaints from successful and um, talented female quilters is that sometimes uh, men uh, quilters get more media coverage uh, just by the virtue of them being um, a male and a um, female um, dominated craft. And while it's not necessarily always reflective of, of the man who's being featured's talent um, as a quilter. And I understand that perspective and that frustration. Um, and I, there's nothing that I would argue. I mean, I think that that's a valid um, point of contention. Um, the only thing that I would mention is that uh, I have worked in journalism. I have a degree in journalism. And I think that inadvertently, it's not necessarily 
an intentional negative, but I think that oftentimes the way that media works in America in the era that we live in is that um, things that are uh, um, things that are odd or dis, dis what's the word I'm looking for that are non congruent um, will oftentimes catch people's attention, and I think that that's um, unfortunately what happens. Um, but I definitely understand the frustration if someone is a female ta- uh, quilter and is talented and has spent years developing their craft and gets frustrated by a guy who gets prominent coverage um, just because of the virtue of his um, sex, not necessarily of his talent. Um, and there's nothing that I can argue, but it's something that it's a, it's a, topic of conversation that comes up and it's certainly something that I've tried to listen and understand the frustration. You go to a retreat with male quilters um, or you did pre-pandemic um, several times a year, correct? Yes. Or, it's it's twice a year. Twice a year. How long has that been part of your quilting life? Um, I don't remember the first one that I went to. Um, but I think I've been to actually 20 different, um, and it's called quilt guy, um, retreats. It started out quilt guy was originally a Yahoo group way, way back in the day before Facebook. And it's now disbanded because I mean, the, the email group is, has basically disbanded because Yahoo groups kind of went away. But, uh, so it was a group of of male quilters connected via email, um, I think prior to even Facebook. So this was um, – and there was a conversation um, on the uh, email list one time because what we used to do is we would do fabric swaps. So one person would volunteer to be kind of the coordinator and say everyone who wants to participate – mail, uh, send them, send them via the mail X number of yards of these color fabrics. And then they would cut them up and distribute them to the other people who were participating in the fabric swap. So we did things like that. We did a block swap. We did, um, round robins. Um, but there was a discussion one time that, Oh, like there seems to be a lot of people from the Northeast on, on this email list. Uh, why don't we get together sometime? And I think it was originally vision, envisioned as just like a day of get, getting together. And then there were two people on the list, um, a couple who uh, ran a fabric store, owned and, and, and ran a fab, uh, local quilt store in Woodstock, uh, New York. And they said if we wanted to do a weekend um, retreat, that they would offer the shop. And there was um, workspaces upstairs and there were local B&Bs. So the first several of the retreats, I didn't go to the first one, but I went to the second one. Um, and so the, uh, there were probably three or four at that location in um, Woodstock, New York. And I attended all of those except for the very first one. And then there was one that was in Teaneck, New Jersey. Um, I didn't go to that one. And then they moved to... Um, can't remember the name of that town. It was in it was in New York State, right across the line from Massachusetts. So it was very close to where I live. And then for probably the last ten or twelve retreats, it's been 
held at a um, inn in the Fullerton Inn in Vermont, um, in Southern Vermont. And so we basically at this point uh, take over the entire inn for four to five days. Um, and the inn has a restaurant. So we literally, if you want to um, come, you don't even have to leave the inn. You can just stay there and there's a restaurant and the meals are inclusive. And um, at this point, the people who go there, I know all of the people who go. I mean, there are new people who come in. There's some people who stop going, um, but there's like a core group of regulars. And now I count them as some of my best friends. It's been just a, a wonderful experience um, in both friendships and also learning a ton. Um, I remember the first time I went um, when we were upstairs at that quilt store in Woodstock, Vermont, and I was immediately intimidated. I was still using this um, this entry line machine that I had bought at uh, a Kmart that was going out of business um, just to to get started. I think it was probably like a an entry level singer, and I was. Um, intimidated by the amount of talent in the room, but it was every one of them was very open and would answer any question that I had. Um, and that was a, a great experience. And like I said, it's now become just as much friendship, but I mean, we do a ton of work. Um, we get there and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm there from, I mean, I'm usually the first one down in the workroom because the workroom is open pretty much 24 seven. Um, it's just downstairs in the inn. We take over the dining room and, uh, I'm usually the first one down there, usually about 6am or something. I'm down there sewing and don't, uh, I'll stop for meals, but usually don't stop sewing. I might take a nap, but I'm there all day until eight or nine at night. Only eight or nine. Wow. <laughs> or later. Yeah. <laughs> There's some women at our retreats who get up at five. I am not one of them. Yeah. But I stay up until one thirty or two. So Well, there's there's one guy who uh his day job obviously pre-pandemic is um in the costume department of the Broadway show Wicked in um New York City. So he sews as a is a living, um, repairing the costumes, etc. But he doesn't usually get home from the the theater until one or two a.m. and he you know can't go right to bed so he'll usually um, in his you know day to day life will usually stay up until four so when he when he's at the retreat he stays up pretty much all night as well <laughs> sounds familiar yeah uh, when you get into a place where you're having trouble getting inspired or you're in a creative funk or hey pandemic induced emotional funk. What do you do to get out of it? I know you mentioned string blocks. Is there anything else you can do? That's, I mean, I would say probably um, string blocks or, you know, if I'm feeling completely crazy, I will start a new project completely. Um, I have a lot of, uh, you know, in the, in the way that quilters refer to them, UFOs, unfinished projects. And um, so I, I, try to not start too many new things without finishing something. But yeah, I would say probably the most basic thing I do is the string, the string blocks. I have um, a pile of strings that are sitting on a table next to my sewing machine that I can always just grab them and, and go. 
So during the pandemic, a, a lot of quilt teachers are conducting classes over Zoom since they can't be face-to-face anymore. And I know you've taken at least one of those. Um, what do you think about that medium as a, a way for quilters, new quilters, to learn? I, I, think it's, I think it's great. And I would say that if I was a quilt teacher, that, w- that I would absolutely uh, – incorporate Zoom classes into my future teaching schedule, even after the pandemic, especially for those teachers. If you talk to to most teachers who do it as a living, um, I think that there are probably people out there who don't know their what those quilt teachers do on a day-to-day basis in terms of their life schedules. But if someone is a successful quilt teacher, they basically live in hotels and on airplanes. And because they're literally flying all over the country to go to to, to to guilds and to to lead workshops. And so for those quilt teachers who find that uh, schedule to be uh, grueling, I would say that I think that most guilds, even after the pandemic, will definitely be open to uh, Zoom or video classes, or at least I'm certainly crossing my fingers that that's the case. Because you're right, I've been able to take classes with teachers that I probably would not have been able to get into their classes just because they didn't come to the Northeast very much, or New England, I should say. And uh, and and so I just think it makes um, some teachers, it's made them a lot more accessible um, since March. And as someone who is interested in taking a variety of classes and learning a variety of techniques, I'm certainly cheering that. That said, I think that, you know, as I said earlier, I'm a total optimist. I think that as people are mass vaccinated, um, I think that definitely by midsummer to late summer, I think that local guilds are just going to be exploding because people are dying for um, in-person interactions without the worry and stress of um, the pandemic. And I think that there's going to be lots of quilting Saturdays and lots of quilting workshops. That's my prediction. Yeah, I agree. Um, Do you have a favorite quilt from your 18 years of quilting? Do you have one that you look back at with particular pride? I made a purple and gold New York beauty, um, which I, really, really liked. And probably the reason I liked it so much is I don't do a ton of curves in most of the quilts that I work on. Um, And I don't know, it's just the first quilt that I finished that I genuinely said, I cannot believe I made this. I just like the way it looks. Um, I think it's very dynamic. And yeah, I, I I think that's one. And then I think the other one that I would mention that is currently unfinished, but it will be finished. It will be finished is my 365 quilt. And oh, if some, yeah. what's that? Oh yes. If someone listening is not familiar with that, it's a quilt that is designed by a Canadian, uh, sorry, an Australian quilter, uh, Catherine Kerr. Uh, if you just Google 365 quilt, Australian quilter, you will find her website. Uh, if you want to build your skills, especially with traditional blocks, I absolutely recommend it. 
And in my opinion, when I do finally finish that, that will be a quilt that is truly an heirloom. Um, I can't remember the the final dimensions, but um, again, it's called 365 because you get on her email list and you get a pattern in your email once a day for the entire year. Um, some people, especially the the quilters who are retired and have tons of time, keep up w- with it and make a block every every day of the year. And then other people will just save them and print out the patterns or save them digitally and then uh, work on it. I am about, I would say, three-fourths of the way through of making the blocks. Um, and I just need to to plow through and finish it. I remember in quarantine, you had gotten, I think, almost through September. Exactly. Yep. Which is admirable. I mean, that's huge. It is. It is. It's a lot of work. I, I think someone at some point counted like all of the pieces um, because a lot of her blocks are teeny tiny. You're working in, in very small spaces. So it's probably not the quilt if you don't like working small. Um, and I think there's like over 10,000 pieces of fabric in the, in the quilt. That would be the kind of thing I would do and then immediately regret is <laughs> counting the number of pieces. Exactly. Are there quilters that you have encountered either in person or digitally that have inspired you along the way or in print? <laughs> well, I'm talking to one of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, think, I think the way that we originally met is I was, um, I think I probably ran across you um, in one of the, as you said, in one of the Bonnie Hunter um, mystery quilts. Um, and then I found your blog and I, I distinctly remember like spending several weeks, like in the evenings, like re reading, reading like all of your archives. And I, um, I admire the, the number of quilts that you make and, and also um, how you uh, bounce around from very traditional to doing things way outside of the the um, the box, and and that inspires me. As far as other quilters, oh, so another quilter that has really inspired me, and I wouldn't say I wouldn't necessarily say. I don't know. Like I'm not sure about like her inspiration showing up in my quilts yet, but I'm just fascinated by. Her quilts, and that would be Maria Shell. Um, oh yes, she's from Alaska, um, and I think you know she's taken Nancy Crow's workshop several times, and I think you can see some of that influence. But I just love the intricacies, the colors. Um, I, I really, really like her stuff. Um, I have taken a class from Sarah Bond. And I'm taking another one as part of QuiltCon Virtual. Um, and I really like her work a lot. And um, I think Sean Kimber, in terms of uh, word quilts and specifically social justice quilts, um, I, I am just stunned by her work. Um, and I think Bisa Butler is is amazing. Um, those are the ones that that come immediately to mind. I'm sure I'll think of a million more. Oh, uh, my friend Jack Edson, um, who uh, I interviewed on this podcast, 
He makes illustrative quilts and it's really interesting. He um, works in a style that's reminiscent of the artist Chuck Close. So he'll take a photo and then grid it out. And then he makes a quilt block based on that one, one uh, block on the grid and then just builds those and puts them together. Um, and I'm, I'm really just blown away by his work, especially the fact that he really focuses a lot of his quilt subjects on a variety of American artists. Um, so I've certainly discovered many artists from just looking at who he has um, made a quilt of. Um, and so that's been really informative. Um, and I'm sure I'll think of a million more as soon as I, um, as soon as we stop. You're listing a lot of my favorites as well. Um, do you have a favorite notion or ruler or something you absolutely could not live without in your sewing room? I don't know if there's anything that I could not live without. I would say that I absolutely love my Juki um, 2010Q. I purchased that with my stimulus money, so went straight back to a local quilt store. And I... Um, I love it. I just, it's a, um, you know, it's a mechanical machine, straight line stitch, um, only straight line. Um, and I, I'm just, uh, increasingly loving it. I think I'm actually sewing the, uh, Bonnie Hunter mystery faster than even my older Janome. Um, as far as rulers, oh, do I have a favorite ruler? I don't know if I do. I bought the one that you mentioned. I've been using I've been using that. What's what's the size? It's a two and a half by six and a half quilter's grid, or exactly. is it the four and a half by eight and a half? It's it's the one, the first one. Okay. It's, there's a little one that I use a lot. And then my favorite favorite is four and a half by eight and a half. Because it's small enough to fit in my hand, but large enough that I don't lose it on my cutting table. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. You mentioned Jeff, jeffrutherford.com for your sporadic blog. I, I understand that. I'm messygoat.com at an equally sporadic blog. Um, and where can people find you on social media? Yeah, I think the best way to find me um, is probably Instagram. Um, and that's just Jeff Rutherford, all one word. And um, it's definitely a lot of quilt photos, photos of my two sons, and lots of sweaty gym selfies because, as I mentioned, I'm into CrossFit. And I think the joke is, is that you can't do a CrossFit workout, really, if you don't take a photo of yourself. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we've been talking with my co-host, Jeff Rutherford. Jeff, thanks for doing this interview. It was bothering me that I got one and you hadn't gotten one. Oh, thank you, Elaine. This was great.